This is Poetry on the Move. In this episode, readings from three guests at 2018's Poetry on the Move Festival. Keijiro Suga, Moira Egan and Elin Chong. Every year, in conjunction with the Poetry on the Move Festival, selected guests are commissioned to produce a chapbook of work new to Australian audiences. The series is linked to a program of poets in residence at the University of Canberra. In this episode, we'll hear readings from three of those chapbooks. First is Keijiro Suga, a Tokyo-based poet, translator and professor of critical theory at Meiji University. He's well known for his ten books of essays, of which... Transversal Journeys in 2010 was awarded the Yomiuri Prize for Literature, one of the most prestigious literary awards in Japan. Keijiro reads from his Ipsy chapbook, Transit Blues. Well, I write a lot of my poems in 16 lines because I needed some kind of form to it. And so what follows are all 16 line poems written on the crow. So, four poems on the crow. The crow is watching your every move, watching how you look at the flowers and touch their petals. The sakura will be over soon, spring will deepen. Tulips begin blossoming with antioxidant colors. Flowers aim at the light and become transparent in the light. The crow, too, is looking at the penetrating light. The crow is also looking at your helpless mind, watching how you look up at the sky and follow the drifting clouds. Bits of clouds deploy multiple white shapes. Each piece cut out and flies like a bird. The sky is always one, it cannot fragment, yet you hear the songs, and the birds are generated by the sound. The crow is never surprised, no matter what happens. The crow never laughs, no matter what it sees. But the crow observes everything closely and reposes to you what it registered in its memory. Two. Say, can I eat this? Asks the crow. About the corn cobs and the seeds and rinds of the watermelon you have discarded. When summer begins and strong light produces heat, the crow's feathers turn as black as the universe. Consider well the relations between flight and cooling. Maybe I can come along, says the crow as if talking to itself. Like a dog, it's just sensed that you are about to leave. You can go as far as you like, I don't mind. The topology of the globe prevents mazes. Doesn't matter which direction you go. The crow's a jolly fellow traveler, a reliable companion, because a crow never expects anything. 
The crow never desires anything, even what there is too much of. The crow never abandons whatever is necessary. Then the crow, with blood boiling, traces a straight line into infinity across the capricious sky. Three. The crow welcomes autumn with precision. This is a season when life changes gears and shifts from combustion to preservation. Gee, I must have picked up some weight, don't you laugh? Merry sparrows enjoy their happy harvest festival. Stubborn snails are about to hide themselves. The crow doesn't lament autumn nor sings praise to it. If you head towards the mountains, he will keep you company. If you look for mushrooms, he will help you. All matter is dreams given shape. The contingencies of the non-material world only appear that way under a certain light. The crow doesn't care if his body is but a dream the crow is calm, even if his senses are patterns of waves. He controls his blood sugar levels in anticipation of flight, even if that is nothing more than the shadow of a dream called flight. Four. If you want to know the truth, the crow loves winter. In big cities, no worries about the scarcity of food. And he loved snow, hopes to get as much snow as possible. On the ever-renewing surface of the timeless whiteness, he thinks of transforming himself into a hieroglyph by pulling out a feather or two. Oh, crown, crow, my cradle is cruciferous. Like a nail driving this cross-shaped credo into his heart, he hums his own song deep in his throat. I am a crown with no ornaments to relativize the human world. My eyes are portable nights tinted jet black. It's the blackness in which all hopes melt into blue. When your world brightens up and becomes pure white, by flying over the surface of the earth, innocently purified, I will show you the ultimate unity of black, white, and light. This is it. My golden tail and my two wings gleaming in gold. Thank you. That was Keijiro Suga. Moira Egan is an American poet and translator who lives in Rome. She has published eight volumes of poetry, five in the US and three in Italy. The most recent of these are Synesthesium and Olfactorium. Her poems, essays and translations have appeared in numerous journals and anthologies on four continents. Moira is reading here from her Ipsy chapbook, Notes on a Potion.
This is to my muse upon her return. Oh, muse, sweet red jazz juice, feather boa attitude, where have you been? A mystery to me, your sporadic telegraphy and how to please thee. Now down on my knees, most supple supplication, I offer you the keys to my place. Tell me, what do I do to entice you to stay and play nice? In my house, I keep no ice. I tend to fire, blue sparks along coiled electric wires and the slow smoke incense of desire. Is that it? Like love, it's only chemical, a perfect fit of molecules, one into the other, sweetly nestled. Big hands in the small of my back, a kiss so luscious the room turns black and the ticking of the clock for a moment stills. You come and go regardless of will. Tears, libations, heart, what shall I spill to keep you here with me? You who make love in normal people and in me, poetry. Now, to go along with my reputation as a smelly poet, I am going to read a poem that actually everyone thinks I wrote for my husband, but in fact, I wrote it about 20 years before I met said husband, but it works. Um, and speaking of the 11th hour and all that, you know how you go into the department store and they or they don't anymore in the States anyway because of liability. They don't squirt you. Um, but you know, when they did used to squirt you, they would say, oh, top note, smell it right away, see if you like it. Wait about 10 minutes, middle note. If it's still good, that's good. And then in about 20 to 30 minutes, the base note of the poem will have formed on your skin. And if you like that, go back to it. Go back to the counter and buy that perfume. All I thought this was a good metaphor for falling in love. So this is notes on a potion. And by the way, I'm in love with this chapbook. Thank you for that. These are beautiful, beautiful books, and what an honor. So this comes in three notes. Notes on a potion. Top note, attar of roses. No one ever thought to bring me blush roses before. How can this color so luscious seem so innocent? Buttered ivory dipped in primrose, and they open slow as a honeycomb, or the tentative blossoming of trust. Middle note, sandalwood. In the dusk, I stumble over roots and shadows. He insists in a whisper that we press on. Then he takes my hand and teaches me the names of the flowers in the dark of the deepest heartwood. Base note, ambergris. The fluke breaks the surface smooth as grace or amniotic song. Salt, sweet, water. There are things I have grown used to needing, but never grow used to. His arms warm around me, the long migration home. which by the way, works really well in Italian. This, the top note, middle note, bass note are much more interesting, but the fluke, you know, you know that kind of fluke and whoa, what a fluke, you lose that fluke, um, which is sad, but there are things found in translation and lost in translation. 
At the request of Cassandra, I'm going to read a sex poem. Is anyone going to be upset with that? And I should also really, really quickly say that once I had a workshop with Kim Aronizio, who is a great poet and a dear friend, and our assignment in this workshop was to make up a form and then make up the story behind the form, a la Billy Collins and the Paradell joke that he played on the poetry world. Um, Kim wrote a, a form called the Sononizio. So you come up with this crazy, stupid explanation as to where it came from and the, and the form itself. Well, mine is um, rhymed iambic pentameter couplets with two rhyme sounds, in which in this case are sex and why. And um, you'll, you'll hear the pattern. The story that I made up was that um, there was a, a medieval, I forget which century, I said, um, a, a Persian rug and, and um, silk merchant who was passing through frequently through Provence and who hooked up with the um, courtesan whose job was to write postprandial erotic villanelles. And uh, he was writing guzzles, of course. And so they, they began an affair, and knowing that she would incur the rire, the rire, hello, the wrath or ire of the castle guy, they communicated secretly for seven years between X and Tehran. And um, this is the most ridiculous story ever, but it's printed in certain places as if this is really the, the origin of this form. Um, and the form and the title of the poem is Gazanel. And it's, it's slightly naughty, so Cassandra, I hope you like it. I haven't read this in a really long time. I'm a married woman now. Last night I wakened, shaking, wanting sex. I didn't know quite where I was, nor why I wasn't in my bed. He woke, perplexed at my confusion, lulled me calm with sex. He wants to know why women sometimes cry at moments of wild joy, petit mort, why a wave of loneliness we can't express, that moat of mourning hits us after sex. I wonder if it's chromosomal, why departed from primordial X, and why or how he knows to hold me all night, pressed into him like intaglio post-sex. Now sleep. Some other night I'll tell him why I don't cry with him, arms around me, sex. So people have written gazanelles now, besides me. It's out there in the world. Try your hand at a gazanelle. Well, try your hand, so to speak, at a gazanelle. Now, the, back to really smelly things. Um, half of that book, Synesthesium, I still, is Owen here? I still consider the, um, the perfume half to be ekphrastic, because these are poems that are truly based on perfumes that exist in the world, which are okay, they're not fine art, but someone thought about what that perfume was going to do and how it would open and how it would close. And so I played a lot with those, with the notes and with the smells and with whatever associations I had or made up. Um, so that's one half of synesthesium. Now, you wouldn't think that expensive perfumes could go in the direction of politics and migrants and things like that, but they can. Um, this is a lovely perfume, and each poem, um, I, too many P's, right? Perfumes, poems, paintings, all that book. And I always say the wrong P. But anyway, the perfume after which this poem, well, from which this poem comes, it's called Asawira, um, which is a really nice fragrance by Penhaligans. Um, and this is for my brother, who was a, wood, a very fine woodworker. So, um, Asawira.
Inside the box he's made are precious things, some sprigs of saffron, sorry, some sprigs of saffron, oil of davana, a slotted silver spoon for serving absinthe, a few dried roses, buds of clove and jasmine. My memories, he says, when times were good. The box's second shelf holds incense, musk and labdanum and amber, sandalwood. And these are offerings because I trust times will be good again. He's burning oud, explains it is the potent rosin made when rot and fungus seize the agar wood. I trace the box's patterns, fine inlay of figures moving in procession, dark and light in silhouette. My family, or how I would remember them. I carve these boxes to preserve our legacy. It's far too costly for the likes of me. The box itself is fragrant, cedar, gayak. I think of Yeats, his classic saying that a poem comes right with a pleasing click, the lid that's fitted perfect to the well-made box. I say, please wrap it for me carefully. And uh, uh, one more last, not least, honoring my one of my um, professors at Columbia, um, a, a very fine ancestor and a badass, Cynthia MacDonald, who was a great poet and was also a trained psychoanalyst and was also an opera singer. Um, she was a formidable, formidable woman. Um, so, and this is an elegy for her. And this is a very strange and very beautiful perfume called Lamp Black. And you'll probably get an idea of what it smells like from what's going on in the poem. Lamp Black. A hurricane knocked out our power once. Those weeks I read by oil lamp, wrote till late, and dreamed of Mary Roth and Dickinson. The smoke curled up and left a smear of soot. She'd told me that the poets who are blocked are those who could not play as children, maimed. Too well I know you can't turn back the clock. Ergo, adulthood full of tricks and games, stiletto skipping down Manhattan's walks. No crack, no break, no back, encased in latex, that orchidaceous rubbery bouquet. The glitter of the night street, glass in, glass in asphalt. Tonight the sky is black and pepper crisp. The moon has never seemed so spherical, blood orange or rufous grapefruit, which the eclipse dissevers, slice by slice, methodical. Thank you. <laughs> Elin Chong is a Sydney poet who was born in Singapore. Her books are Burning Rice, Peony, Painting Red Orchids and Rainforest, all from Pitt Street Poetry, and The Uncommon Feast by Recent Work Press. Her work has been shortlisted for numerous prizes, including the Anne Elder Award, the Victorian Premier's Literary Award, and twice for the Prime Minister's Literary Awards. Elin is reading from her Ipsy chapbook, Dark Matter. 
like to read the title poem, uh, Dark Matter. Now, a little bit of background. So one of my favorite galleries in Sydney is the White Rabbit Gallery, which showcases contemporary Chinese art. So in March 2017, there was an exhibition there called The Dark Matters. And it moved me so very much that I wrote um, this poem in response. Uh, and it responds to a variety of the artworks in that exhibition. But the epigraph is a quote from the artist Hu Liu, whose artwork was a dense black drawing comprising layers upon layers of pencil strokes. Dark matter. I gave up color. Hu Liu on grass. Dark matter. Burnt wood ground to a fine powder mixed with water compressed into bricks. Build this. What we know is rarely black and white. Dense, layered, opaque, graphite. In these strokes, time rendered visible. The sea, ink and water on paper. Shadows, tidal pools, the surge. In a wall of mirrors, Waves break open unto themselves. Finger marks in clay, trees coaxed into characters. Light scattered, spinning on plaster. My next um, poem was written after the, a poem of the same title. Um, the, poem, the title of the poem is Paper Boats. Um, and it's a tribute to a Chinese poet um, whose name is Bing Xin, and that's her pen name, um, and her real name was Xie Wanying, and she was an extremely prolific Chinese writer who wrote primarily for younger readers. Um, Bing Xin, literally in Mandarin, means ice heart or crystal heart, um, and it's taken from a line from the Tang Dynasty poem by Wang Tangling, meaning someone who is transparent and pure of heart. She was born in 1900, in the same region as my maternal grandfather in Fujian. My poem responds to her poem of the same title, Paper Boats. They say the first year is for paper. I have saved you all my poems. The moon is full behind the clouds. I fold each sheet along unseen lines. Lengthwise in half, here a triangle. Push like this and open it carefully. Little boats with a shelter on each end. What will stop them from breaking on rocks? At the water, I bend and lower each craft into the stream. The current takes hold immediately. The grass is flattened where I have knelt. Along the bank, the earth has turned into mud. I follow each white fragment as it floats downriver. Words are heavy, paper boats sink. Thank you, and that poem um, is also for Jen Webb because she read the poem and told me how much she liked it. So thank you, Jen. Um, this next poem is a syllabic poem that borrows part of its structure from the Tang Dynasty Ci or verse. Um, there are many different kinds of Ci. Traditionally, Ci is a form of lyric poetry that primarily expresses desire through an adopted persona. Um, before I 
proceed, I'd like to say that I don't actually read very much Chinese. Um, I'm third generation Singaporean Chinese. Um, I had to study Chinese, the Chinese language in school, but in effect, I've lost a lot of that language. So my reading ability is that of maybe a, a seven-year-old, if that, you know, it's, it's falling every year. So um, writing poems like this helps me to bridge my cultural identity. My poem has um, two standards of five lines each with eight syllables per line. It is also a response to Carol Ann Duffy's sonnet, Hour. Coins. This evening in the train station, I ascended, you descended. Our eyes met, then I turned away. My husband was behind me, and you went home to your wife and child. It's hard to believe I once felt hunger for you, that a stolen glance would carry meanings I know now were empty. No treasure there, just these coins dropped, buried in mud. Um, this next poem I'm both um, proud of and embarrassed by. Um, and I'm sure we have some children or poems that you feel this way about. Um, I wrote this poem in a fit of pique and it tumbled out of me as a prose poem. Cassandra Etherton um, selected this poem for inclusion in Spineless Wonders Time Anthology. And I was, I was actually really like freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, it's going out in the world. Um, and you'll see why I'm so embarrassed about it. Um, it's also a response to Philip Larkin's poem, The Trees. Green Grief. I heard about your wedding in a Catholic church. So much food and wine, live jazz band, how you'd lost all that weight. Everyone so happy. Revenge fantasies. You fell off a cliff, got run over by a truck. You were buried up to your neck, drizzled with honey and left for the ants. Your plane went down over the Pacific. You had a heart attack. You were shot in the eye. You see, poets have this thing for truth. The memory of crying so hard, I threw up, but in the shower so you wouldn't hear, though there was no door on the bathroom. My therapist says I had a choice. I probably was the problem. I couldn't be the woman who would sit down and shut up or stand in a cupboard all day waiting until you got home and unlocked it. In my dream, you were in my house and my friend who is also a poet said, I have to tell you to vacate the premises because you would never, ever acknowledge what you did to me. Larkin said, last year is dead and to begin afresh, afresh, afresh. Repetition here is key. I'm very worried about revenge poems because, you know, the person might read it and then you're so vain. Um, I have over the years acquired a bit of reputation for writing poems about food, but um, don't be deceived by the title. I would like to say now the title, which is Dog Meals, refers not to the eating of dogs, but to the Lunar New Year of the dog, which is um, this year that we're in, dog meals. The dead women always fed me. In the kitchens, water ran from brass taps next to the thick wooden chopping blocks where the Chinese cleavers lay glistening. Bowls of sliced pork belly braised in soy, 
trembling with fat. Plates of wok-seared rice dry-fried to a near crisp with onion and garlic. Cabbage, black fungus and bean curd skins stewed with glass noodles and dried shrimp. I have eaten of these willingly. The last woman to die consumed three whole meals of the new dog year before she lay her head down in the dark, never to wake again to brew strong coffee with condensed milk, to spread kaya on toast, to crack open soft-boiled eggs. Nothing left but a procession of black ants crawling across the counter. Um, my last poem for tonight, thank you for coming at all. Thank you for reading poetry at all. It's very heartening to see um, such a wonderful audience. And um, my last poem for tonight was just published in Mianjin, which is uh, a really wonderful Australian journal. And it's about my mother. Um, my mother was an accountant before she retired. Um, she'd always wanted to be a painter, but you know, you can't make a living from art, as we all know. Um, and um, she was an accountant, and my brother is an artist, and I'm a poet. She often says to us, what did I do wrong? Um, and I actually feel like she did all the right things because she allowed us to be who we wanted to be. Um, however, it is sometimes really hard to talk to my mother because I will tell her about something like, oh, you know, I need to go to Brisbane for work. And she's, how much is the etiquette? And I'll be like, oh, I don't know. And she'll, you know, every time I bring something up, it's always how much, how many, um, how long. You know, it's always numbers. It's always numbers. So I thought, okay, let's, let's write a poem about that. My mother talks in numbers. What is home? 40 years of morning, noon, and night. Tell me about your childhood. 37 mouths open under a tin roof. What is happiness? 18 in my sailor suit, spray from the waterfall. Why did you marry? Five years of coins. How many tears? 1,898 pearls. Do you love your mother? Two hands, 10 fingers, six children. How many miles have you come? 64,025 gull wings. Do you love me? The rain falling, falling over 13,000 dawns. This has been Poetry on the Move. I'd like to thank our guests, Keijiro Suga, Moira Egan, and Elin Chong. Chatbooks are available through Recent Work Press. This podcast is made possible by IPSI, the International Poetry Studies Institute, and the Centre for Creative and Cultural Research, Faculty of Arts and Design at the University of Canberra. My name is Shane Strange. Thank you for listening.